Hello and welcome to the University of Minnesota Swine Extension Podcast. My name is Sarah Sheik Belke, and I'm a swine extension educator with the University of Minnesota. Joining me today are two swine nutritionists with the University of Minnesota, Lee Johnston and Pedro Uriola. I've got the two of them joining me today to talk about nutritional strategies, especially as we're in our current COVID-19 situation and several pork packing plants are currently closed. So we're gonna talk about those nutritional strategies to slow growth of pigs during these emergency situations. So to get us started today, Lee, would you like to introduce us to at least one nutritional strategy that producers could look to at this time? Sure, Sarah. It's uh, unfortunate that we have to talk about this. We've heard this uh, many times about this being unprecedented, all those kind of things. For those of us involved in the pork industry, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around this. We spent our whole careers trying to find ways to make pigs grow faster and more efficiently and healthy. And, and now we have to look at ways of how do we slow them down. And, and um, it's just a whole different uh, mindset. One thing that, that one can do very quickly is um, we want to try to reduce energy intake. Energy is what drive, drives growth. And so pulling out any ingredients that increase the energy density of the diet. So any fat sources, um, whether it's added fat, whether maybe if it's just added fat for dust control, that adds calories, get that pulled out of the diet, and uh, any other kind of growth promoting um, uh, ingredients. So if we're adding some additive because it improves growth in the nursery phase or the grow finish phase or something like that, we wanna pull that out because we want the pigs to grow at a very controlled, moderate rate. So is there any precautions or anything that producers would need to be aware of as they might pull some of those energy ingredients out of the diet? Well, Pedro will probably talk a little bit about it. Um, amino acid ratios, energy amino acid ratios, when you pull the fat, uh, the energy density down, you're gonna change those. And um, you know these, these approaches that we're gonna talk about may not be the most desirable from a carcass quality standpoint, but um, that's not our objective right now. Our objective is to slow the pigs down. And so they might get a little fatter, uh, may not be ideal, but it's certainly a better situation if we can control it so that the pigs enter the food chain and not into some kind of disposal uh, situation. I, I would say, Sarah, that on the side of managing the energy of the diet, there is also dietary fiber of the nutrients that you can add to or that, that compose the diet, dietary fiber has about one third of the calories that an animal can obtain from, for example, starch. So every time we uh, remove corn and enter something that has high fiber, you are about decreasing the energy of the diet uh, to one third. The issue, though, is coincidentally with, with the problems with COVID-19 or, or uh, the coronavirus disease, there has been changes in oil prices and revenue for ethanol production. And with that, production of distillers dry grains with solubles, which has been traditionally a common source of fiber in, in pig diets or in, in the diets that we can find in the Midwest and throughout the United States. Uh, 
some producers have go to, for example, soybean holes, and that certainly adds uh, fiber to the diets of pigs. Um, research that we've done at the University of Minnesota demonstrates that soybean holes are quite fermentable. Therefore, not all fibers are made equal. It is difficult to find sources of fiber at this time. So therefore, maybe now the next tier of strategies that people have used is then work with, with nutrient deficiencies or, or, or remarkably decrease the provision of nutrients to slow the growth of the pigs. Well, Pedro, just a, a comment on the fiber. If you do use another fiber source, whether it be soy hulls or wheat mids, bee pulp maybe, but that's difficult to get a lot of times. Uh, remember, producers need to remember that that increases the bulk, yes. decreases the bulk density of the diet, so it makes it fluffier, mm -hmm. but might not feed through feed bins, feed lines, or in particular, uh, feed through feeders as well. So you might have to open feeders up to get the feed intake that you expect. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later probably about shutting feeders down to restrict intake, but um, realize that that's a different character of diet. And, and you're talking about getting close to 20% NDF, mm -hmm. which is a pretty high fluffy kind of a diet. So producers need to be aware of that and basically concerned about out of feed events and out of feed events might precipitate gastric ulcers. And that's obviously a welfare issue and, and maybe a health problem. So um, fiber works good, but um, there's some precautions we have to make sure we're aware of when we use that. Correct. And so therefore, then people have looked at other, other means to uh, decrease the growth of the pigs. And, and the analogies that sometimes I try to make is that you're just trying to slow them or do you need to really put the brakes on growth because they are quite out of the door? And in, if feed is already at the, at the feed bin and you need to really stop growth, or, or getting closer to maintenance, uh, restricting feed intake is the most predictable way of, of slowing the growth of animals or, or getting them. Everybody that has done diets, you can try to modify your food with different type of foods, but at the end of the day, decreasing dry matter intake really is a way to, to decrease growth or, or gain weight. So, so Lee, you were mentioning about uh, restricting uh, or closing down the, the the feeders. I've heard of different ways to do this. I've seen people, well, you decrease the access to the feeder by closing the uh, the gates or the uh, levees on the feeders and have about 20% coverage in the feeder pan or in the pan of the feeder. Um, some people have gone a different, little bit different route to do intermittent closes of of, uh, of feed. Uh, one day with feed, one day without feed, uh, probably because it's maybe a little more manageable than than adjusting feeders. And so, yeah, I think maybe Lee, the issue for, with that is the the ulcers and and having the animals hungry for for prolonged period of time which has its own problems itself yeah, no? it was, if we're going to restrict feed that tightly um have to be on the lookout for the development of vices 
tail biting, ear biting, uh, some aggression. Um, certainly, there's going to be some activity around the feeder more so than normal. And, um, you know, and, and under normal situations, we say don't restrict feed so that you don't have these vices develop. And now when other more important factors come into play where we, we want to restrict feed intake, we need to be on the lookout for that and try to get that controlled as best you can early on, maybe pulling some pigs that are being the biters or, you know, if somebody has the solution for tail biting, you'll, you'll be a rich person in a, in a hurry. But that's something to watch out for that, that restricted intakes. Yeah, those are good points, Lee. I was going to say that too, that no matter what we do, whether it's altering the diet by increasing fiber or um, also limiting feed intake by adjusting feeders, that we do need to remember that the well-being of the pigs at the same time should be one of our first priorities. So it's not just doing some of these different management nutritional um, changes, but also we still need to keep up with our daily observations. And like you pointed out, we need to watch those pigs for any biting or tail biting, stuff like that. that. That's a good point, Sarah. I've been very pleasantly surprised with the producers I've talked to over the last couple of weeks in all this. They have not wavered or compromised on the welfare uh, issues around this for the pig. You could say that you know, one might suspect that, well, this is a crisis situation. The farmers, you know, they're losing a lot of money and, and mental anguish and so forth. And so, well, we'll put the pig welfare down the list of priorities. You know, we just got to get through this and save some money. But that has not been my experience. The producers are, what can we do without compromising the welfare of the pigs? If I do this, what's the welfare? If I do that, what's the welfare? And so the critics of the industry that say, well, it's just, uh, it's all about the dollar and so forth. They haven't seen what I've seen. And I know that you two have seen it as well. And uh, it's very encouraging that our industry has moved that, that far ahead. That's truly in, in, to, to that extent, I've seen the industry or heard and, and, and experienced, they, they also think mid and, and long term. So when, when they talk about these strategies, they also say, well, what can I do with the grower pigs that, come, that are coming down the line that are going to be the tomorrow's market pigs? And so some of the strategies, for example, uh, decreasing supply of amino acids or or diets that slow gro the growth of animals in they have been also looking at down the road or for example decreasing supply of the amino acid lysine we do know that that's the first limiting amino acid in most corn soy bean meal diets and so that for sure will will slow lean the position and growth of those animals down the line so that you can create space within your your system no Good point, Pedro, because you brought up the point of amino acids and how we could potentially alter diets that way to slow growth. But like you mentioned, yeah, we do have to watch out for some of those adverse effects to the carcass um, that could happen through that. So staying with that topic of adjusting amino acid levels, are there certain things producers should watch out for if that's one of their nutritional strategies? 
Yes, I would say um, amino acids usually go consonant in ratios one to another. So providing a ratio that managing the level of lysine in the diet, but providing the ratio uh, should help the animal to continue growth. And each amino acid has different functions. So, so continue that ratio should be uh, important. With that, then knowingly that as they change those ratios or, or as they change, feed intake may change too of, of those animals. So at a times, pigs can compensate one way or the other for feed intake. And that also depends on the age where we are doing these strategies. Uh, in some cases, you will slow them down still in, your, in their growth. But some deficiencies, if you want to really slow the growth by 10 20%, 30%, then the deficiencies have to be more remarkable. And as they get older, they will be able to compensate with feeding tape. So the amino acid only strategy may only get you so far. So if I'm hearing you correctly, um, even though we're doing some of these alterations to the diet, we still need to make sure that we're meeting the nutritional requirements of the pigs as well. Well, it's nutritional requirements for a lower targeted growth. And something that, that also is rolled into that is that the vitamin trace mineral premixes are up to snuff. Um, there's another approach that some have used, and there's some data coming out of Iowa State on, on pulling all the soybean meal out of the diets and just feeding ground corn. And in those diets, they have uh, demonstrated, and the studies going on right now, a very substantial decrease in performance but they still have all the vitamins and trace minerals in those diets, in that diet. And, and that's important from the perspective, you know, as Pedro pointed out, if you want to slow down the pipeline, so to speak, and work with the younger pigs, they're going to be on these diets for a longer period of time. And so we need to have the vitamin and mineral fortification up there to uh, do everything we can to ensure bone integrity, because we don't want those pigs going down uh, due to improperly mineralized bones at uh, loadout or at harvest that creates other, certainly a welfare issue and losses in terms of harvestable product and that kind of thing. So uh, in all the diets that I've seen and seen people talking about and so forth, they are maintaining their vitamin mineral fortifications and dinging, uh, adjusting amino acid levels and energy levels, fiber content, but keeping that base to address what you said, Sarah, to, to meet their nutritional needs on, on those nutrients. Correct. And that's a, yeah, a good point. Not only do we talk about meeting nutritional needs, but right now we're focusing on the maintenance requirements of the pigs. Yeah, and the majority of these diets will cover maintenance requirements. Yeah. Well, and I would say that if they, they need to really decrease growth or, or slow then the, the feed intake, then other people have looked at managing the electrolyte balance, something called the dietary cation and anion uh, difference or, or the amount of cation and anions that are put into the diet. And usually acidifying the diet or, or making the cation and anion difference more negative with the okay, use of Pedro, if, if I just interrupt you a minute, yep. a little bit of your South American heritage is coming through. 
the cation anion, right? That's what we're talking about here. Yes. Cation anion balance. Yes. Okay. I just um, your your South American heritage is wonderful, and sometimes <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But yeah, um, cation and anion uh, uh, balance, and for example, the electrolytes like chloride and sulfur, those are negative charge, and uh, potassium and uh, sodium are positively charged. Uh, and, and then striking a balance, usually that balance is a lot, a, around 100 to 150 milliequivalents uh, per kilogram of the diet. It's a typical diet. And we're talking about driving that with more chloride or other uh, negatively charged um, electrolytes to decrease that balance and, and therefore feed intake will decrease on those animals too. And so, so that strategy has certainly been, been uh, uh, used. Um, Lee, uh, you and I have been talking to John Holt, for example, he's a University of Minnesota graduate who has experience working with these uh, uh, techniques. And his data really shows that yes, it does decrease uh, feed intake uh, when he when he was trying that, in, um, and so it seemed to be a, a useful way of decreasing feed intake. But it is not without complications. Uh, prolonged term uh, negative electrolyte balance uh, may tend to in decrease bone mineralization. Uh, and we were talking about the issues for bone mineralization uh, before. And certainly animals compensate over time. So of the strategies seem to be uh, one that, well, maybe useful, but you really need to work with a nutritionist to, to implement this and, and need to really observe the animals to make sure that intervention is going well. Another really important point with the DCAD balance issue is water intake. Basically, when you manipulate these diets to a negative a DCAD balance, uh, works on the kidneys, and the pigs need plenty of water to adjust to that, and quite often you'll see water intake go up. This is a very old approach that has been used to try to control feed intake in gilts and sows, as first time I saw it, and uh, one of the things that they noticed there was water intake will go up. So if you can imagine um, a lot of finishing pigs on a diet like this, if your water supply system is maybe a little marginal and then you get a little heat stress, you could be in for a little bit of a train wreck. So um, make sure there's plenty of water available if you use this approach. That's a really good point, Lee. Um, and I was also going to point out, just like Pedro, you pointed out too, producers need to be working with a swine nutritionist as they're doing these nutritional changes, because not only that we're making sure that their maintenance requirement needs are met, but also as we look at some of these, whether it's the amino acids or the electrolytes, changing those balances, yeah, we could be doing some harm to the structure, the bone development of that pig if we're not doing it correctly. So really important to be working with a swine nutritionist. Yes. You know, as we, maybe people can appreciate, not all 
uh, interventions are perfect. Now, there's no one single thing that we can do today uh, that is going to solve all the problems. And there is also magnitudes to the problem. Some people really need to uh, stop the growth because those animals are re really ready to market and they are pushing close to 300 pounds, 320 pounds, and you blink and they're already at a weight that the packer may not even be able to receive it, uh, even if they were open. And there are some p other pigs coming down the line in the maybe 200 pounds, 250 that you want to slow down because you know that the packers are going to be backlogged. So, so you, I think that you need to study a cohort of interventions and, and then see which one of those really apply to your, your system. There are other management interventions like uh, managing then the environment, the environmental temperature. It's well known that as weather gets warmer and hotter, uh, then feed intake will decrease and growth uh, decreases. Of the strategies, this is a one that I think is really tricky because as days get warmer or, or in the spring we get very big swings between temperatures. So um, it's one that um, is, is very tricky to implement. Another thing just to maybe wrap up a little bit on the management thing, the typical practice of popping pens and pulling the big pigs out. Well, the goal for that is to give the other pigs space so that they grow faster. So uh, probably want to stop topping pens and market whole groups, pen groups at a time. We know crowding does reduce feed intake, but it also at some point compromises welfare. And so it's probably just best when the pigs gets to the point where they need to go, where you would start topping pens, you just just um, market the whole pen and, and be done with them and free up space. I think we've got several strategies that we've gone over with our conversation here, both nutritional strategies and also some management strategies. Is there any last comments on what we've talked about or maybe another strategy that we haven't mentioned here yet? I think my last comment is I hope that this podcast is helpful to some folks. I hope it gets archived and never used again. That's a really good point because we've talked about things here that would be for certain situations. They're not something that you do every day. But yet, even though we find ourselves in this situation with closed packing plants because of COVID-19, these strategies could also come to play if we ever got a foreign animal disease um, in the U.S. and we found packing plants closed again, which we hope never happens. Pedro, did you have one last thing that you wanted to no, just to close, uh, I'm amazedly mentioned before of the resiliency and unity among poor producers and, and the people that work in the industry. I think it's amazing how, yes, there, there is a person caring for the pig every day, but around that person, there is a amount of other people, veterinarians, nutritionists, university extension personnel, you know, everybody works in cohort and, and, and try to teach. I have had conversation with students that our group, the students, and they always are bringing forward ideas or ways to handle the situation. And, I, and many times we see 
people say, well, I can do this and I, I can help with the next step. And, and so I think we are going to go out of this the ditch here and soon we'll be back on the road producing food for uh, feeding people. And, and I think I'm amazed how the industry has responded. Well, thank you, Lee and Pedro, for joining me on this discussion today as we talk about nutritional strategies to slow pig growth during these special circumstances that we find ourselves in. And I just want to mention to folks listening that there are some places you could find some more information or go a little bit deeper into what we've talked about today. And to do that, you can connect with the University of Minnesota Swine Extension by visiting our swine-specific web pages on the University of Minnesota Extension's website at www.extension.umn.edu backslash swine. And on those pages, you will find connections to our blog where I've specifically got a label, COVID-19, where it talks about a lot of these things we are discussing today, as well as other resources as well. And you'll also find a connection to our Facebook page. And then to mention our swine faculty in veterinary medicine, they have also been doing um, some great things and getting out some great information. And you can connect with them on their blog at www.umnswinenews.com.